You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And with me, as he is always, to talk about the assembled Avengers, John Mills. Yes, I have appeared through a magic portal uh, with my sling ring, and uh, I'm looking for my cape. I would like to know where my cape is, because uh, that thing's a rascal, and I think that it's out getting ice cream again, and it went without me. So, You know, this is understandable. Does it not bring you back ice cream? No, it's a very selfish cape. It's It's got a mind of its own, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it shows up, it, it, it hogs the shower. You have no idea how long a cape can take in the shower. It's just really, it's it's like having a very inconsiderate roommate. But on the plus side, it helps me fly. So, you know, you well, give and take in a, a clean cape. Yes, very true. Very, very, very true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, obviously tonight uh, here on Assembling Avengers, we are going to be talking about Doctor Strange in phase three but before we get there I do want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's listening uh, thanks for checking out uh, the 602 club as well as assembling avengers and we would love it if you would follow us over on twitter at the 602 club we've got a nice little uh contest going on right now so if you were to follow us you could win a copy of a star wars book heir to the empire uh, you can also find us on instagram at the 602 club tfm we're also all over the place. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. And I do have a request. If you're a Spotify listener, give us some star ratings because those uh, have just become a thing and they will help more people find us in Spotify, which is becoming an even bigger place to get podcasts. And if you maybe use the Apple system still and you've never given us a star rating or review there, we'd really appreciate that too because, again, it helps more people find the show. Indeed. You can also... Find us, of course, online at Trek FM or at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. And then we've got the listeners only discussion group you can join. And I do want to mention, especially as we are just in 2022, we could really use your help over on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Trek FM. And this is a listener supported network. And without listeners like you, there's no way we can do this. So go to Patreon.com slash Trek FM and see how you can be part of the team. So, John, obviously, we know that before um, Marvel Studios became a thing, and, of course, too, uh, before they started the MCU, Marvel films were just kind of all over the place in the sense of there are many different studios. Marvel, in fact, stole a lot of the rights to different characters because they needed money. And um, so this is actually a movie that had been in development hell for quite a long time. And I was really fascinated to learn that in 2007, Guillermo del Toro, as well as Neil Gaiman, had pitched an idea to Marvel mm-hmm. um, with uh, a the desire to use the character Clea, um, which I don't know from the Marvel Universe. But I was like, wow, that is some pedigree in like fantasy horror type filmmaking and the genre. 
and they turn him down. I was I, I couldn't believe it. it. They had to have had. I mean, by two thousand seven, they had, I think, a little bit more of a cohesive view toward mm-hmm. their goal, which was to have this big connected universe thing going on. Everybody forgets that they were doing that before Disney bought them. So that's not something that they just planned overnight and they said, yeah, let's go for it because they would have been in planning at least for Iron Man and definitely, I would say, the Incredible Hulk by that point, which came out shortly after. And it would have made sense for them to hold back and say, you know what, let's see if this experiment works. They didn't see Mm -hmm. that Disney was going to buy them or maybe they did have some sort of indication. And so it would have given them even more reason to hold back because they're trying to prove that they have a model that can work. And so I I completely believe it. I and the thing is Guillermo del Toro, he has a, his name attached to so many things throughout the last 30 years. And it's because he has a very specific style, he has a very specific for lack of a better term lane that he stays in. I'm intrigued by the idea of a del Toro Doctor Strange inspired property uh because it would just be really interesting because he would indulge, I mean, you know, he'd be, it would be more in the Hellboy type of feeling uh, than in the, the MCU type of feeling that we got. Which, I mean, the original Hellboy was pretty fantastic, actually. That's uh, a good movie. So, yeah. 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 I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, one of the other things that I was, just because I always like to do a little bit of reading, and back in 2010, uh, they had actually hired some writers to write Doctor Strange, and so it's in the works. And by 2011, uh, I thought this was really interesting that Patrick Dempsey himself was actually lobbying to play the role, which I was thinking to myself, I, I could totally see that working because he kind of has the persona uh, that you would need. Um, obviously, you got to have the Doctor Strange type hair. He's got that, too. Um, and I was like, that's an interesting choice. I I, I mean, I, I'm sure that, um, I, you know, obviously that's not the way they go, but I, he, I think he probably could have done a pretty interesting job at it. I It would be interesting, but I don't think it would work. And that's because of his voice. I think that what really sells uh, Cumberbatch in the role above everything else is I can his voice lends itself to this type of character. I can see that. He has a very commanding voice. And I I think that that's extremely important when it comes to a Mm -hmm. character that you have to believe can do these mystical things. Like there's, there's definitely an image in our, our, you know, our little lizard brains where we associate certain vocal qualities with certain personality Mm -hmm. types. And Patrick Dempsey all due respect to him because I think he's a fine actor. I don't hear his voice and think sure. Dr. Strange. Now he could have done something, but I think that oh, Cumberbatch yeah. is yeah. much more naturally in that, that zone mm-hmm. of voice. Oh, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you because you know, the other people that they considered were like, um, Jared Leto and Ethan oh. Hawke and Oscar Isaac and Ian McGregor now, and Matthew McConaughey and Jake Gyllenhaal and Colin Farrell and Keanu Reeves was on the short list as well as Ryan Gosling. So it's like there were a lot of people that they at least thought about or even considered. But in the end, 
from what I've read, it sounds like they really always wanted Cumberbatch, and I think that that makes sense. So yeah, it does. I, I mean, the thing is, whenever I hear stuff like that, though, where it's like, well, we always really kind of wanted um, Mark Ruffalo, but we we just had to go with Edward Norton, and it's like I, I just I don't know how much of that is spin, and I, it's just the cynic in me that it all it. Every story you ever hear is, well, we really kind of wanted this person all the way from mm-hmm. the get-go. And that, that always seems like spin to me. But Cumberbatch, I sure. think, definitely was 100% on the short list. His star's on the rise. He can – you can get him for less than somebody who's going to ask for $20 million a picture or something mm-hmm. like that. I think Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac would be extremely logical uh, as a choice. And, of course, you know that Disney winds up wanting to work with him enough that he winds yep. up in the sequel trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, I could see Isaac doing it. I could see that. He's got the right look um, with his with, – with the way he uh, – his eyes uh, and his hair is compl- – everything's right for him as well. But Ryan Gosling – or Keanu Reeves, yeah, I no, I don't believe either one of them no. is truly on the short list. Yeah, me either. It was was this one of the Marvel movies at this point? Did you see this in the theater? No, I didn't. I don't remember why I didn't. Um, but life gets busy. What what year did this come out again? This would have come out in twenty. This is twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Uh, would have been the year that I started uh, prepping for our move, actually. So life was starting to get pretty interesting and busy. Mm, um, yeah. But uh, I, I think that, you know, I mean, Doctor Strange was definitely something, a property I would have been interested in, specifically because it was it was one of the comics that I always stole from my brother's mm-hmm. collections because the character was always fascinating. Uh, some of my some of the ways I like to doodle actually come from the way that they would show the magic manifesting on his hands. Mm. They had some great art in the Doctor Strange runs. Um, what about you? You made it out to the theater for this, yeah? I did, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I at this point, you know, just I'm on the Marvel train, you know, yeah. and and so I'm I'm definitely along for the ride, pretty much like everybody else uh, in the cosmos uh, and or the multiverse at this point, uh, and so, um, I I wanted to ask you uh, then about just the you know once seeing it and the character and the presentation of this character, uh, how you felt about. Doctor Strange and maybe even um, how he kind of came across as compared to other characters. Because for me, this is something that I, I've actually – it's it's become a hurdle that I personally had to get over with this movie. Oh, I, I, I know exactly where you're leading and I, I know I won't be original in the least to say that it's Magical Iron Man. It's almost as mm-hmm. if they looked at that script and said – Okay, well, let's get him to where he needs to be faster. He gets there a little bit quicker in terms of the injury. Um, he's got the the outsized ego, the quippy behavior, the the quasi love thing going with uh, an intimate coworker who knows him really well and tolerates his zaniness. Um, 
So there are so many things that are similar, but they do make, I think, you know, necessary enough departures. I think that, and and I, I, you know, I'm not trying to tip my hand or anything, but I think that it remains the case that this character doesn't really find his footing until say probably the end of the first reel is when things start to get comfortable. It feels like they're not quite sure how fast they want to get to certain key parts. But once they cross that, that's when everything settles down and the character finds his own identity. Uh, You know, I, I mean, do you feel the same way? Do you feel, do you feel that this is just a, a, parrot of the iron man script or formula or anything like that Mm -hmm. i would i mean i actually went back to look at my original written review of this on my blog to to kind of familiarize myself with that and i i honestly haven't seen this movie since the movie came out like i've never watched it again and so yeah this is this was kind of really coming at it very fresh because I had vague recollections of things, but I didn't really remember much of the film and so I think that that actually really helped um and i i mean I was at the place beforehand where this did feel like you know uh and I think you rightly pinned it as magical Iron Man. And I always did feel like it it felt a little bit too much like a formula. And the the that I mean, and again, that's not necessarily a terrible problem because Marvel has been very successful up to this point. Um, I think what was interesting is rewatching this, and I was really struck by the way that I mean, you talked about the things that move pretty quickly, but I was also struck by the way in which they really do let him be almost worse than Tony in some ways. Like he's even more egotistical. He's even more, he has even more of a God complex. And I, I really loved in, especially rewatching it, how they let, um, they let Steven experience his own medicine in the sense that, you know, he's, he has spent his life, building up his own reputation and not worrying about anybody else. And now he's at the place where he is the long shot that nobody wants to touch. Right. And he experiences what he has done to so many other people. Um, And he's the loser that nobody wants to have anything to do with. And I was just really struck by that. And, and the way in which they allow him to be able to lash out um especially at christine um you know when he i mean he just lets her have it in her in his apartment um in the nastiest most mean-spirited way possible as people do in that type of pain and i i felt like re-watching it there was actually a depth here that i didn't really catch on the first run and part of that comes from the fact that I think Cumberbatch reaches into every scene, especially like those, and he plays them so well that he's making the most out of all of these emotional beats to which, if it had been another actor, it might not have, I think, been as successful as that, especially found it in this rewatch. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree. Cumberbatch does some deft work, and what I want to do is is go back to something you pointed out. You know, he experiences his own medicine, which I think is a very good way to put it, because they call attention to the fact that he's turning down patients. Because he doesn't want to be bothered with, at one point he says, and ruin my perfect record. He doesn't want to do anything that is going to make him look less than perfect. And the thing that makes that worse than what Tony did, although Tony was selling, you know, weapons of war and stuff like that. What makes that worse than what Tony did is that it's a very personal level. It's a Tony is selling something and it's enough of an abstraction. You can understand how somebody could be dissociated from it and just say, yeah, you know, it's not my responsibility for somebody using it incorrectly. I I just made it. Sure. Yep. And that, you know, that has its own sort of philosophical discussions that go along with it. But for somebody to sit there and legitimately turn down the potential to save a life or do life altering surgery simply because they don't want their reputation harmed. That's a very specifically personal thing. And it is, it is difficult to be there with him when he's, there's that one scene in Mm -hmm. particular, right before he loses his temper with Christine, where the doctor hangs up on him. And says, no, this yep. is too risky. I, I, I'm not going to do this. No. Mm-hmm. And he's at the end of his rope. And what I want to ask you, though, is with his affliction, with his condition, with where he is emotionally, do you think that they take too many shortcuts after that point to get him to Do? Or do you think that it flows now? Do you think there's too much of a speed up, let's get their process going on? Do you think that that should have been allowed to breathe a little bit more? The one thing that I would have liked, and I, I thought this in, in my rewatch here, was when he gets there and she kicks him out, I would have liked for her to basically pull the whole, he's going to spend months there. And basically, we see a montage of him being there for God knows how long, right? Right. Of, you know, having to patiently wait outside the door, turn into a beggar to do whatever he needs to do, you know, to get by. I think that's the one thing. And again, that's you can do that in 30 seconds of film. Yeah. You don't have to spend a long time. But I think what it does is it just adds this tiny layer there to let you know that he is completely desperate. I like that. Um, that, you know, there is no, there's nowhere else for him to turn. He's got yeah. nothing else. So he will either die on this doorstep or they'll let him in. And I think that's the one thing they could have done. Otherwise, I, you know, I do think, especially again, I, rewatching this, I was really harsh on this movie, I think, from the, from the get-go um, in my first go. And I was really surprised that especially once he starts his training it doesn't just like click and like they they just go at warp speed like they spend time with him like learning and kind of being impatient but you know them teaching him lessons and it and then it takes a while for them to get to the point where you cross with the villain you know so 
I was actually really impressed. Um, that's just the one thing I would do. So I like that. I think that's a great change that would have benefited the movie greatly. I, I like where you went with that. I, I don't know if you'll like where I'm going to go after that, but so long as we're talking about the training and the ancient one bringing him in, this movie did, of course, garner a bit of controversy before its release mm-hmm. because the ancient one is supposed to be Tibetan. And because Marvel wanted and Disney wanted this to play in China, they yep. changed the race of the ancient one. Uh, nobody really cares. I don't think anybody really cares that they changed the sex of the ancient one. It's, you know, I, I mean, you, yeah. you flip no. stuff like that all the time in movie adaptations and it's never a one to one. Do you think that the movie. Uh, OK, two part question. One. Do you think it was an inappropriate change on their part to put in Tilda Swinton? And then two, regardless of all of that baggage, do you think Tilda Swinton presented a character who was Mm -hmm. believable in this role? Did you buy her as the ancient one? So I think it's a twofold part answer to... The, the first question, which is, I think it is inappropriate for Disney to kowtow to China and make the change for that reason. I think making it a woman and making it Tilda Swinton and making her of Celtic descent because you find her and you think to yourself, oh, I think she'll nail this. Um, I don't have a problem with. Like I, you know, like that's not something I think is a is the problem. I think the 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 problem is is that we know the reason they did this, yes. and that's wrong. Yeah, having her in the role, and you know, again, I think it's kind of neat to kind of give her um, this magical lineage from from being a Celt, uh, which you know, obviously, we know has a very long line of magical lineage. You know, uh, and so, and. Tilda Swinton is one of the most unique actresses in the world in the sense that she can play so many different types of roles and she just kind of melds into that. And I bought her as being somebody who had lived a very long time, was an ancient one. Um, And I thought that there was something very interesting about her with Stephen because in many ways I felt like she came off um, like M to Bond, mm. where she loves this character, but she is going to give him tough love to make him what he needs to be. And I thought that really worked. It, it, there was this matronly relationship, I think, that they ended up having so that by the time they actually have that conversation where she is dying and they're in the astral plane – there is this really emotional quality to him losing her because she's been the only one to believe in him. She's mm-hmm. been the only one. And, and so I think she nails it. And I, I she's actually one of my favorite parts of this movie. Um, it is just, I, I would say, disgusting that Disney makes the decision that they do for that reason. But isn't that so interesting is we live in an age where we know the reasons for why they do things. And we didn't, you know, in my, in my lifetime, and I know in yours too, there was a time where we didn't know these things. It's just things that happened and you didn't know the behind the scenes stuff. 
And it, it, it really does become one of those things where knowledge seems to become like a poison chalice sort of thing where we're all addicted to it. We're all addicted to knowing everything, but at the same time, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should just ease off, but I'm going to, I'm going to take it another step further. I know that you don't have a problem with switching things up. I don't have a problem with it. I always go back to one of the best um, switch casting types of things was the Shawshank Redemption, where they cast Morgan Freeman in a role that in the original short story, and I believe in the original script, was a short, red-haired Irishman. And instead, Morgan Freeman was just the best actor for the role and they liked what he brought to it. And he's so they just said the best actor. <laughs> well, no, but, but that, but that's the thing is they said, no, he's going to, he's going to bring something to this role. That's, that's great. And that's why it's still a very, very funny line in the movie, like a double inside mm-hmm. joke reference thing where he says, why do they call you red? And he says, maybe it's because I'm Irish and they laugh. And so it works, but do you think that if we didn't know that reason, that we would have sort of a counter reaction to it about changing the Ancient One to mm-hmm. a, a woman, basically. Do you think that we would still be, like, is it a damned if you do, damned if you don't in terms of knowing the reason why? Mm-hmm. I think for my part, it wouldn't be um, because... If it hadn't been for the reason that we know, I don't know the comics well enough to care personally, you know, and I don't think it's really an important, like, this is not an important change. The Ancient One could be male or female, and I don't think it makes a difference to who the character is. And, like I said, I do feel like that it really actually ended up adding to the relationship between the two in a way that helped the story even more so than it would have been if it had just been a guy. So, right. Well, yeah. and and that's the thing that I'll tack on is I'm not somebody that gets up on a soapbox about anything, but how many opportunities for, uh, you know, for women were there to appear in this movie, and you have to start looking for those opportunities to mm-hmm. make a change so that you don't just have. Point. Yep. A slate of guys walking around. And it's so I, I think it actually winds up being the most logical choice mm-hmm. because it's a prominent role. It's a role that can be played well. It's a role that doesn't matter yeah. whether it's male or female. So, OK, you know, it, it, it's not a big thing. Well, and I do think, you know, this is it, it's you could go a step further and say by changing the role as well, you know, the character that Strange is. I can't imagine that he – not only is he going to look down on her because of her mystical beliefs, but her just being a woman in general could add to that dynamic as well sure. of his arrogance, right? And I think that's another layer that gets added here to which he may – and they don't portray this in the movie, but it's just another layer that you can add on there that is really good. Well, they they do have um, Rachel McAdams has a throwaway line when they're talking about the strange maneuver or something like that, where there's it's very clearly implied that he's a womanizer and he doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily treat women particularly well. 
Um, so I, I think you're you're onto something there that there there could be a subtext. But you know, I, I don't want to belabor the thing because yeah, I agree no, with I, you. It's a good it question. Works, uh, and and Tilda Swinton works in the role. But and I'm a I will always butcher his name. Please forgive me. Oh, it's uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. I think is how the pronunciation is. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Ejiofor. I apologize. It's a I, tough name. It's, but I've been a fan of his for years. I see him walk on mm-hmm. screen and I'm like, oh, I like this guy. I remember the first time I ever saw him was actually in Serenity, the wrap up movie for Firefly. Oh, yes, yes. That absolutely. was the first time I ever saw He's him excellent. and I went, wow, that guy's awesome. It was, it, my reaction to him is sort of like uh, in that, in the, in Serenity was similar to my reaction to Ken Watanabe. The first time I encountered him, which was in The Last mm. Samurai, where I went, wow, yes. that, that guy, I want to see more of him in movies. Um, but I'll tell you, he, he does a great job, but Marvel struggles by this point with finding the right balance of comedy. I'm going to put forth that Doctor Strange actually finds a good balance of comedy, and I think a great part of that is the casting for Wong is so perfect. Mm-hmm. I could not imagine another person playing this role. I, the first time I saw it, even when I wasn't nuts about the movie, and regardless of what I'm going to say about it later, mm-hmm. Wong is the character for me in this movie because I think that he's mm-hmm. the one that brings a very necessary lightheartedness without being um jestery about it he's not a jester yeah he's just a unique character who's legitimately funny and played Mm -hmm. pitch perfect i love wong he is ever ever, and every time i see him in, in any of the marvel movies from this point forward i'm like oh cool like I like him that much just just based on this. I mean, did you have the same reaction? Was there somebody else who was stronger? Or? No, I, I think Benedict Wong playing Wong is phenomenal. And like you said, I think he is the perfect choice because he I think the the one of the when we talk about this on aggressive negotiations and when we talk about Star Wars here, a lot of times is that Star Wars humor is more sarcastic in nature. Yeah. Uh, in its humor. Um, and. I think one of the things that Doctor Strange finds is that a lot of the humor here isn't just straight up comedy for the most part, except for a few moments with the cape. Yeah. uh, Which I think that's not humor that they try to take too far. I think a lot of the humor in this is is very biting, sarcastic type of humor, right? Um, Because it's a lot of characters who think they know better than the others and they may or may not actually know better than the others and i think benedict wong is really perfect in that type of role and um so no i agree with you and and just i think to add a little bit on that with the humor i think this is one of the movies to which marvel did seem especially in this rewatch i was very surprised they did seem to be willing to allow this movie to take itself more seriously yeah than some of the previous or maybe subsequent films because i was i, I rewatching this i was really shocked because 
there is some real like emotional depth to this film and it does kind of need to take itself slightly more seriously because you're introducing the multiverse you're introducing yeah. the idea of different realities and magic and so you really actually need this movie to be much more grounded and so i found this movie to be much more in the vein of and people might think this is weird but the incredible hulk and huh. the original iron man in the sense of like it just feels like everything feels very grounded until we get into the really fantastical and yeah. it doesn't feel as weird to be in that fantastical because we haven't just been making everything a big joke the whole time. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. I think even the, the way that they wind up having his accident, because I, I actually wound up thinking about it. What I yeah, loved is the wrong word, but what I think worked so well is so many times through modern filmmaking they're very clumsy about making some sort of statement about this type of behaviors is smoking is bad this is bad that's bad everything's bad whatever and it's always heavy-handed or most of the time it is whereas with this when you break it down he gets in a car accident because he's paying more attention to his phone than he is to the road yeah and, well, and, he, and it's his arrogance, right? He's driving 100 miles an hour on little roads when it's raining, thinking that, one, he's better than everybody else. He deserves to be everywhere else faster. And everybody just – if they would just get out of my way. And, like, it's a statement about this character and his arrogance, and it's a perfect way to show that. Sure. But, but I mean, I, I think just that, that minor thing roots it in the real world because Tony Stark – the way he gets injured is okay. Like I, you know, it, it, it works. I'm not taking anything away from it. And the way that, um, you know, the, the way that, uh, uh, Peter Quill gets taken as well, he gets abducted by aliens. Like it's all of this fantastical stuff. This is an origin story that is especially chilling. And I'm saying in support of your thing about how the real world is the real world here. This is one of those things where it's like, Oh, yeah, this is this is exactly believable that could this could happen to somebody. I don't have to make any sort of logical leap. This is how the real world works and as a result, I think that lends that lends itself the credibility on that sort of subconscious level for us to then go in and say, mm -hmm. "Okay, you've established that the real world is the real world, so I'll go with you into the mirror universe." or the mirror dimension and right. walk on buildings and watch New York fold on itself and have these portals going around because you've established that these places are all real as I understand them. Mm -hmm. And so right. I'm willing to let go of that part of it and invest more of my imagination in the stuff that you're telling me exists outside of it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I think one of the things that I gravitate towards First time I saw this movie, and even more so, I think the second time I saw this movie is that conversation that he has with the agent one where, you know, she says that arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all, which is it's not about you. And I absolutely love this theme and i love the way that the film has supported this so far from you know we were just talking about the idea of 
the realism, but in that, in that realism, this person who's so self-absorbed that they care only about their own look to everybody else and their own, you know, um, record, uh, and could never have an actual relationship with Christine because he's too selfish. And, and by the end of the movie, right, what's he willing to do? He's willing to spend eternity, if mu- he must, with Dormammu to okay. save the world. I'm all right. We'll we'll we'll, we'll jump through there. I was going to ask about Mads Mikkelsen, but so long as we're talking about Dor- Dormammu, I love the ending of this movie. Even when I was lukewarm on it as a whole, the ending of this movie is one of the best endings in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Period. First off, the fight in Hong Kong is ridiculous. Like, it is off the hook ridiculous how good the effects are, how well edited everything is. With everything that's going on in that battle sequence and all of the stuff going on, you never lose your sense of place. I can understand where everybody's moving and where they are in relation to everything and everyone else even though we're dealing with stuff where we're reversing time and putting people in walls and having buildings fall over and bricks flying everywhere and stuff moving backwards while they're moving forwards, I can still see and I, it was such a joy. It's still such a joy to watch. And um, when he gets to Dormammu and he starts going through, I think this this is something that ties into what you were talking about with uh, you know the, the rooting, the humor and everything like that is – it's still legitimately funny when Dormammu realizes and he goes, well, wait a minute, you know, he, he what's happening and, and he pieces it together and they don't just go forward. They do enough of a montage to show exactly what somebody like uh, what a, an entity like Dormammu would do, which is just lash out and just torture and punish. And strange is like, yeah, yeah. And even the way that they vary the line read, you know, when he first appears to Dormammu is so magnificent. And so I wanted to ask you, I mean, are you as boffo about the ending? Were you as boffo about the ending the first time you saw it? Did you like the ending as, as much as I did? I mean, the ending of this movie is the one thing I've always talked about whenever I've discussed it, because I just think mm-hmm. the ending is so yeah. freaking perfect. I think it, when I first saw the movie, it felt like, to me, kind of big Marvel thing. But seeing this movie again, I'm 100% on your side that it is a fantastic ending. And I think the beauty of it is that, and this is something that uh, Amanda and I were talking over on the 602 Club about with the Hawkeye show, is there is this narrative cohesion about this film to which all the main thematic points continuously flow throughout the whole film to you get to the resolution and you feel like you've earned the moment that you're in. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think makes this ending work even better for me now. And I 100% agree with you. It still looks phenomenal. Like this is some of the best CGI work I've ever seen Marvel do, hands down. But... It's legitimately satisfying because I feel like the character has earned the place from being a complete a-hole to being somebody who's 
slightly less of an a-hole. In fact, so much so that he would actually be willing to spend the rest of eternity doing this if ha- if need be, if that's what it would take to save Earth. Now, see, this is what's interesting, is and obviously we agree about all of that stuff, but but I do want to go back and, and hit on the uh, on the effects because it's the strangest thing, no pun intended or anything like that, but the effects in this movie are so incredibly consistent. They're more consistent than they were in Civil War. They're yep. a billion times more consistent than they were in Age of Ultron. And it's one of those things where it will always baffle me because you get to a movie like Doctor Strange and you see how consistent and well put together all the effects are and how judiciously they're used and edited and all of those sorts of things. And you say to yourself, why can't they all be like this? It doesn't make sense that I'm going to go and I know I'm going to go forward and I'm going to see some compositing stuff and some placement stuff where I'm going to say, but you like, why couldn't you carry those lessons forward and just study that and say, oh, that's how you do it. I know it's a nitpicky weird thing, but I think it gets to something we were talking about with the score on the last one, where when you're production lining these things, there are times where good enough is good enough. And it's so refreshing visually. And again, this goes all the way back to my first viewing. It's very refreshing to get to a point where you can tell that for a team that was working on it, good enough wasn't good enough. They want it to be great. And as a result, you get visuals that made me wish I had seen this in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And when I rewatch it this time, again... I watched the IMAX enhanced version, which let's be honest on TV. It, that means nothing. And yeah, you know, what we do, you got rid of the black bars. I'm like, it's still on my TV. I wish I had, I wish they would re-release this so that right before uh, multiverse of madness, I want to go see oh, this on the big screen. Man, yes. Yes. No, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I like it. it and Maybe this was a film where they realized the effects have to be spectacular because if not, you can't buy the magic in this film. Right. And, you know, I I was reading and them talking about, you know, they didn't want this to turn into feeling like Harry Potter style magic or feeling like a Fantasia sequence. You know, they really wanted this to be special and to feel unique. Now... It's less unique in the sense that we had seen some of these type of effects in Inception, um, but then this takes those Inception type effects and then just, you know, runs with them. cranks it up to 11. So, exactly. So, I think maybe that's the case, whereas some of the other movies you can kind of, they feel like maybe they can fudge it, but absolutely here, you don't. And, and they and they don't. And I think it's a huge benefit to the film because you're never drawn out of the movie being like, oh, well, that doesn't like look right. No, this always looks right. I, I do. Before we we jump to music, because we both put a pin in that last time, because this is where Michael Giacchino, 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 I, I never know how to pronounce his last name. Something Italian. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um 
this is his en- his first entry into the Marvel universe. But before we get to him, Mads Mikkelsen as the villain. Do you think he was used effectively? Do you think that it would have been better to leave it so that mm-hmm. it was just simply a battle against Dormammu breaking through and so it was more of an abstract thing that they built to? Mm-hmm. Or do you think that Mickelson is used appropriately and his character is effective as, you know, the the for lack of a better term, the Saruman type figure mm-hmm. here? Sure. I think what makes this work really well to me is that, uh, and I really appreciate it about this go around, is because this movie has such a spiritual bent to it, you know, I mean, one of the big lessons we have here is that Strange comes in thinking he knows everything and realizing he knows nothing, yeah, especially about his view of the universe. And so on a spiritual aspect of this movie is that Dromamu is a character who is wooing Cassilius by telling him that the dogma to which he believes in yeah. is wrong <laughs> and yeah. that he will give him everything he wants without telling him the truth. So in many ways, we have this like magical paradise lost, right? Like you're being promised everything And yet what it is is really a lie. And so what are you going to put your faith in? Are you going to put your faith in this this dogma or uh, in in this this foundational belief that the ancient one has? Or are you going to trust, you know, basically, you know, uh, the Satan of of the multiverse? And so I, I, I think it works really well to have a character who is a physical representation of the temptation to which um, we all kind of face every day, which is to take knowledge um, that maybe we don't need or don't, well, that we're not, shouldn't have. We're not or, mature enough I mean, to it, process. Yeah. We don't have the exactly. wisdom to handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the, the right. whole point of then the ancient one using that same uh, the power, but for the benefit of, you know, like she has the wisdom of how to use it correctly. Yeah. You know, so. uh, you know what, what's interesting just as a tack on to that is this time watching it, I was thinking to myself that I would like to see something similar to the way this movie goes for the origin, uh, the, the split between the Jedi and the Sith. I could see Ooh, this as, yes, you know, take the yes. Dormammu figure, but I mean, mm-hmm. you could still have a Dormammu figure because we know about the world between worlds and everything. Mm-hmm. You could still yeah. have that type of figure there. But I was looking at it and I was like, this has a very Lucas, Filoni, Star Wars type of feel of there's a bigger battle beyond us, but the way that battle goes is going to be determined by us because it's, you know, it's a chess game with living, thinking people Mm -hmm. who are fighting against each other for the cause as opposed to direct intervention uh, you know, but between the two, you know, sides or anything like that. But I, I do think that this is a template where I wish that somebody at, at um, Lucasfilm would look at it and say, huh, that could be a really great ancient Star Wars movie or even series, short series. Like, I think there's the template there for this because, you know, to your point, you have, you know, the 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 Jedi basically 
And then you have somebody who splits off and takes people with him saying, no, 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 we're meant to rule. And, and I've got the power to do it. I know how to do it. I, I studied the, the rituals that you said I shouldn't know. And I can open this doorway and I can make all of that happen. And I mean, obviously with the Jedi and the Sith, there wouldn't be the resolution or anything. But yeah, you know, I think that um, at its core, if I reverse engineer it, that final battle in Hong Kong doesn't happen without the adversarial force. Right. Yep. On this physical plane. So I think that in and of itself, that's why those characters are necessary. I think if I'm going to ding the movie for anything, it's the fact that watching these things, I know Dr. Strange is going to make it to the end of the movie. So there's never sure. quite the sense of peril that I want there to be for the character. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I 100% okay. think it does. All right. So it, it is a part of it is a part of all of these films. Like it, it's the convention of watching just about any superhero movie. Your main character's not going to die, you know. Um, right. So it, it just well, especially when universe. it's their introduction <laughs> film, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> so, um, but you know, so we have a, a really big composer come in yep. to the MCU here for the first time. And, uh, of course, he'll go on to do uh, the Spider-Man films as well. But what do you think of his his take? I mean, does it does it work for you? Does it is it better than some of the other ones where you've been like. Slimy yet satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's a satisfying score. I do. I think it's a good score. I think it's a very Giacchino score. I can hear him in it. That's not a bad thing. And I'm not dismissing it. I don't think it's one of the great scores, but I think it's a very good score. It is something that I could put on and have in the background when I'm working. Um, but it's not something where, again, it's not the first thing I think of when it comes to the movie Doctor Strange. Uh, wh- what about you? Do you think that he excels here? Or do you think that this is... You know, this is a good score that does the job and maybe a little extra. It's really interesting because there's a lot of his isms I can hear in it. You know, there's a lot of the things that I've heard him do in other places kind of feel. And and there's senses of obviously 2009 Star Trek uh, in here. Uh, He definitely has um, specific things he likes to do with his like soft piano type of of movements for things in big moments i think this is a good score i think it does exactly what the movie needs it to do it adds to the scenes i think it has some nice work and one of the things that i think is interesting about it is the fact that it doesn't feel overly bombastic and part of that i think leads to this film even in its craziest aspects, feeling more grounded because the music itself isn't overly, you know, taking, it's not taking over scenes in crazy ways. So I think there's something special in that sense about it. Um, I don't think again, like you said, it, 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 it's definitely a score I can listen to like when I'm working or whatever like that. Um, because I think it's, it's got pleasant melodies and stuff enough, but, 
the theme for Doctor Strange, I still can't really hum it in my head the same way I can with the Avengers or Captain America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's a, a very fair, very fair assessment. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, the thing is, I'm legitimately curious because we, we've gone back and forth. We haven't had too much, too much negative to say, even though we both came from a place with our first viewings years ago. As, eh, you know, um, I got I got to ask, like, what what is there that's negative? What is there that you mm-hmm. would truly ding this on yeah i think the the one thing was what i said earlier where there's that one minor change that i would have made uh with just his time spent waiting and just adding you know a couple more beats there and then you know how it come in yeah um i was and and that is a much different reaction than I had the first time where I felt like this was more formulaic. Uh, and I think this is actually maybe uh, a movie that shows how you can take the formula and still make a really good movie at the same time. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can use it to the fullest effect. So um, I, I honestly don't have a, a lot that I would I would ding this for. Was there anything else that you would say? Oh, I you know I might have done this a little bit differently, or this kind of bothered me even in my second rewatch. Or uh, you know, I know that you're tired of hearing this. We've we've been having discussions like this for so many years, but I do think that it's clunky in the beginning. I think there's too much of a sense in its assembly in the beginning of needing to get where it's going. And as a result, there's an impatience to it. And I don't know if that's because they know the audience is not going to be patient by this point. So I think what works against it is that it's structure in the beginning before he starts training is all very, um, even though we have a great car accident that puts him where he is, I do think it needed more time to breathe. So this is going to sound weird, but the movie could have been a little bit longer. Not a lot. Five minutes. Maybe ten. Where you're absolutely right. Some montage time of him out there for months, seeing maybe the seasons change or something. But additionally... There's not really a clear sense of how long he's pursuing options. And I think the movie benefits from a couple of montages put in there. Tender moments even where he's just listlessly staring out the 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 window and, you know, Rachel McAdams is tending to him and trying to talk to him and trying to get him so that when he does pop off, you get more of a sense of he's not just snapped but it's been over time he's just hit the end of his rope so bad makes him more sympathetic uh when he gets to that moment so mm-hmm. uh, again I, as tiring as it is for people to hear me say it it's that it's that first reel mm-hmm. is always difficult and in this one in particular there isn't enough patience now once it gets past that first reel once our training once it settles down it's good and it really yeah. finds its groove and it has a great pace and it keeps you entertained 
straight through. And the best thing any movie can do is have a terrific ending. Because mm-hmm. if you yeah. yep. nail the landing, you can forgive a lot of stuff. Rogue One. Let's go. I knew ba- you're going to bring that. Of up. course. Yeah. You can screw up the first, you know, the, the first thirty minutes or whatever, or first hour even. But if you if you stick that landing, mm-hmm. okay, you've you've bought a lot of goodwill for yep. me. That's and that's actually better than the inverse, which is a fantastic oh, opening yeah. and a crappy yep. end. Yeah. Well, I think part of that, and and one of the things that I really, I, I've just got to give the movie credit for is, and I really appreciated the character and the relationship between him and Christine, because obviously they have this relationship that's semi-romantic and has been romantic before and is not quite as romantic at the moment because of, you know, his ego. Um, and, but one of the things I really appreciated about this is there is this unconditional love that she has for him and he has for her. And regardless of whether or not they're together, it's still there. And I thought that that was pretty special to see because sometimes people are really unlovable, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean you stop loving or caring for them. Um, you know, and, and I think she gives him some pretty tough love, um, that I think in many ways after they have that blowout fight, I think that's one of the things that really gets him searching for something else um, because I think he realizes what he said and mm-hmm. um, he went too far and he crossed the line. And so now he's willing to to look anywhere, do anything. Um, and... So I, 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 and her performance is really, really good. Um, you know, I, I, she's funny in the beginning. She's heartwarming and, and, uh, she's just everything you need this role to be and more with the time that she has on screen, which is very minimal. Yep. Completely agree. Completely agree. So ratings, I mean, we're there. Yeah. Yeah, we We're are. We're there, man. We're there. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough one because this leap is such that I don't want to get ahead of myself and wind up being trying too hard to course correct. Right. I looked it up. First rating I gave it was two and a half stars, which Ooh, on a five-star scale. No, no. On a five-star scale, two and a half stars is, eh, I didn't hate it. It's mm-hmm. all, it, you know, it's good. And, and it lent itself all to, I didn't really like what came before the end, but that ending was, Wow. And that was where the two and a half stars comes from. This time around, and this this is this is this is the thing is I don't want to overcorrect, but I honestly think I I wind up landing at a four because this nice. is good. I really enjoyed it. The effects are incredible through the whole thing, and once mm-hmm. it settles down, it's just a darn good movie with a really solid message and that ending. The first time I watched it, I thought it was really clever. I and you know I love when it's not that the enemy is dumb, but the hero is smarter. Right. That's yep. why I love Solo: A Star Wars Story. Is it's about the hero outsmarting somebody. But then now, this time looking at it, and how that ending is so structured around the idea of self-sacrifice, and Strange actually saying, "I'll do this for eternity." Mm-hmm. We can just keep doing this or we can work this out. And I 
yeah, so I get I give it a four. I, I think it's solid. I I this is a movie I'd gladly show my kids and like talk with them and say, hey, you know, what do you think it's trying to say here? What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I'm I'm giving it the exact same rating, and I would say, in all honesty, I mean, I could give this an, a four and a half, but I'm I, I still I think it's a solid four. Um, and, and that's up from a three and three and a half for me. Um, but I have a much bigger respect for this movie than I did beforehand. And it's moved up my Marvel rankings pretty far, um, because of it. This, I mean, this is a Marvel movie to which coming back to it, I'm realizing I'm going to watch this more often. Yep. Uh, because I just enjoyed it much more and i don't know if it's age or if it's just being able to look at it with a different perspective Mm -hmm. um or just feeling like there's so much of this movie that i do feel like thematically is even more relevant today than it was before you know and and i just always love when that happens and i i think in many ways too the relevance has just continued to be relevant you know like it's it it's it it's a message to which you can watch in any age and still is very important to hear. Um, yeah. And I think that's what makes for gr- the truly great cinema. So, yeah, I mean, maybe if I watch this again, it might go up to four and a half. I don't know. But it's definitely a solid, very, very, very solid four. So, yeah, uh, and we didn't even talk about the, yeah, the post credits stuff. Yeah, uh, let's talk about it real quick yeah. before we get to ratings, because I, I do want to ask you about that. Obviously, we have the uh, the introduction of uh, him meeting Thor um, and before we get to uh, Thor Ragnarok, of mm. course, and um, then Mordo kind of taking away the power of um, Benjamin Bratt's character. Uh, I mean, what did you think? The second stinger made me very intrigued and this time around very regretful that everything in the world sort mm-hmm. of delayed Dr. Strange too, because yeah, that, that would have hyped me up very much. I'm glad we watched it now because with multiverse of madness relatively in the short, fu- short range future. It's very true. Yep. Um, now I'm jazzed for it. Now I'm like, Oh, I, I got to see where this goes. Uh, the Thor thing, I, you know, it's fine. What, what about you? Um, so I, I think, that the <laughs> the Thor thing is uh is a good way to kind of put him in the Marvel universe, and it makes sense that he would be kind of the first person he would talk to. Um, you know, since he's against magical threats, Loki is the biggest magical threat, right? At this point, so uh, it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That whole idea of like who and what threat could be there from from the guy who can't realize that sometimes you can like bend rules for the greater good right yeah he is completely dogmatic and so he's allowed that dogmatism to turn him into a fanatic which is really interesting uh so who knows if that'll play anything in the multiverse of madness but um where would you, where's this in the rankings, John? Well, this actually winds up causing a very strange sort of reassortment of things, uh, not just because of where it winds up, but 
it may be impacting where other things go. Uh, and that, that'll make sense in a second. So Winter Soldier, number one. I, I Yeah, I'll be really interested to see if uh, Winter Soldier ever gets knocked out for us from the first Same here. slot. Same here. Uh, yeah. Iron Man 3, uh, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Guardians of the Galaxy, and then Doctor Strange. Guardians of the Galaxy is where it is, but it's precarious. Doctor Strange could leapfrog over it as I consider more. Guardians of the Galaxy will always have an emotional leg up because of the mom death storyline. Speaks to me on a very personal level. Yes. And so I, I, I freely admit that. But this time around, Doctor Strange, I was like, huh. Captain America Civil War is right after it, but precariously so. Because this blast mm-hmm. of enjoyment was, huh, maybe I was a little too kind to Civil War. And then Captain America, Incredible Hulk, Avengers, Thor, and Age of Ultron is dropping from the next slot to slide underneath Thor the Dark World, which at the very least was cohesive. So it would go uh, Hulk, Avengers, Thor, Thor the Dark World, Age of Ultron, and then Iron Man 2. <laughs> so for me... um, it moved up my Marvel ratings, and it did shift some things. So uh, Winter Soldier, number one. Uh, Iron Man, number two. Iron Man, three. Number three. Uh, Civil War, number four. Uh, the First Avenger is number five. Uh, number six is Ant-Man. Uh, and then number seven, Doctor Strange. Number eight, The Incredible Hulk. Number nine uh, is... Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, number 10 is Avengers. Uh, and then number 11 would be The Dark World. Uh, number 12, Iron Man 2. And number 13, lucky number 13. Did I miss? Oh, wait. Yeah, number 13, Thor. And number 14, down at the bottom, Age of Ultron. So That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, th- this but it was is, really this is weird sort of... because, like, like Doctor Strange, it actually moved up. Like, if there are two halves of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me, like a upper half and a lower half, it moved to the upper half from being in the lower half. Yeah, uh, it, so it's interesting. It's crazy. We both put it at relatively the same slot, so the, this one enters this round. But again, there's an asterisk here. It's this could wind up continuing to have a ripple effect down the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now jog my memory. We have to jump over off of Disney plus to Spider-Man next is no way is no way home or um, so, wait, not no way home, yeah. but homecoming is next. As, uh, as we move forward, um, we, uh, we're actually going to be hitting guardians, the galaxy two next. That's so next. we'll be on okay. Disney plus still. Um, or, you know, I've got it on disc. Um, but then we do get to homecoming, which I actually ended up buying the, uh, the dual, uh, that and, uh, far from home. It was like 20 bucks on Apple TV, like both of the movies together. So I was like, eh, well, yeah, you know, makes sense. That so, makes sense. But, um, since we got to watch them anyway, um, yeah. and, uh, and you know, it, 
later Marvel rewatches, I'm sure, one day. But um, so yeah, so coming up, uh, Iron uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two next, Homecoming, then Thor Ragnarok, and then uh, a really big film, you know, Black Panther. So and yeah. then we'll hit Infinity War, Ant Man and Wasp, Captain Marvel, Endgame, and Far From Home, and that would be all of. <laughs> Phase three. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Looking forward to it. Cool, cool. Well, uh, John, if people, you know, just want to catch up with you, maybe talk some Marvel stuff or see where uh, Kessel Coin is these days on the <laughs> currency trade, where can people find you? Well, Kessel Coin will always be at the top of the cryptocurrency trade. Uh, it's very sneaky because uh, you need a, a secret handshake and a double encoded password just to start a discussion about it anywhere. Uh, I'm the only one with the keys. Can I use my encoder ring? Does that work? I'll let you use your encoder ring as so long as it isn't um, the the one I'm thinking of. You got to use your uh, the, the one from A Christmas Story, not the one from The Last Jedi, because okay. that, that okay. encoder ring okay. is no good. Anyway, okay. yeah. uh, you just look for Kessel Junkie. Uh, I'm out there, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. And I'm over on the Nerd Party co-hosting two shows, House Lights, where we look at the work of directors, and uh, another a Star Wars show, which has been on a brief hiatus at this point. Uh, it, life has been very, very busy, but is coming back in full force. No pun intended. Uh, Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast that I co-host with you, Matt. And I hope everybody will check it out. Uh, while you can also check me out on places like Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero under the name MattRushing02. Of course, uh, here on the network with the 602 Club, as well as uh, doing Warp 5, The Orb, and Literary Treks. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And I do have a finished show over on the Nerd Party, which was called Owl Post that I did with Drea Kaufman. And we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But as always, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Avengers! Avengers!